Well, if you would, if you have your worship guide, uh, turn to page 9. If you have your Bible, it's Psalm 6 is our text today. Psalms is the big book in the middle of the Bible. And 6 is the one in between 5 and 7. <laughs> that was a bad joke. Um, <clears throat> let's start with the reading um, of Psalm 6, and then we'll pray. Um, before we jump in together, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 6. To the choir master with stringed instruments, according to the Shimoneth, a psalm of David. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed, my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. And they shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that your word um, cuts and heals, heals and divides and restores, brings life. We pray that in this time your word would do that, do those things. Thank you that your word doesn't go out from you and return void, but it always accomplishes your purposes. Lord, we pray that in this time that would happen as you promised. Lord, we thank you that we can meditate on your word and we can seek to internalize it. I pray that during this time you would help us to hide your word in our hearts and be formed by it. And like like planting a seed deep in the soil, your word in our hearts would grow and produce fruit and change the landscape of our life. Lord, thank you that Jesus himself is the word made flesh. So I pray that in this time you would help us to see him for who he is. Help us to worship him, celebrate him, and lay everything before him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. All right. Just a few things about this psalm, Psalm 6, before we just jump in and get gritty with the details. A few things to notice just right off the bat. When When we're reading the Bible and when we're reading especially the Psalms, it's good to do what we just did, start off by reading it. It's also good to take a moment and 
uh, try to put the passage, try to locate the passage uh, in a time and place. So try to figure out not just what does this mean for me right here in this moment, but where does this come from? What's the context? What what are we dealing with here? So I want to take a moment and just sort of frame out some things about Psalm 6 that will help us to interpret it. So first, it's part of the Bible, right? (laughs) That means that it's God's Word. That means that we can trust it, that we know that it's strong. We know that it accomplishes God's purposes. Now that's maybe a little bit obvious or a lot obvious, but it's good for us to remember when we come to the Scriptures, we're coming to words that bring life. We're coming to words that have power. And we're coming to the scriptures to submit ourselves to uh, to it, not to reshape it, to make it say what we want, right? So first, it's Bible. Um, second, it's a psalm. Uh, and it's good for us to remember that. This is not prose. Um, this is not... Um, you know, it's, 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 it's a psalm. It's poetry. It's written as, a, as prayerful reflection. It's written, uh, in, in a poetic way. So we should read it like we read poetry with our feelings turned on. The meaning in the psalms is, let's see, how, how can I say this? The meaning in the psalms is not just in the words, but also in the way the words are put together. Uh, there's a, there's a, there's a, the vibe, if you will, is important when we read the Psalms. Um, which kind of leads to the next thing. This isn't just any Psalm. This is a lament Psalm. And that's important. There's lots of Psalms in, actually 150 of them in the Bible. And some of them are real celebratory, like the one we did for the call to worship. Praise the Lord in the heights. Praise the Lord in the heavens. You know, all these praise, 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 praise. <laughs> but some of them are kind of dark and kind of heavy. And that relates to that poetry vibe thing. Uh, we live in a world that is, even though God is the king, even though he's on his throne, even though Jesus rose from the dead and he's, accomplished the work, the battle is in essence won, it's still raging. Um, the redemption that he accomplished is, has not fully been implemented and made visible yet. We're, we're a world in process, still recovering and still being ravaged by sin. And you know, it's really encouraging that the scriptures especially the book of psalms which is the which is which is especially infused with feeling draws feeling out in us it's really good that um it includes mourning and lament uh today is the second sunday of easter the easter season and it does seem a little strange maybe at first to be doing a lament psalm during the season of Easter. But you know, it's actually really beautiful and liberating because the resurrection of Jesus sets us free to lament and to mourn brokenness honestly. Uh, We can look evil and brokenness in the face and not back down from it, 
because we know that Jesus rose from the dead. And that does something in our hearts. It enables us to uh, call out sin for what it is. Call out sickness for what it is. Call out brokenness and poverty and hurting. All of these things. Uh, somebody shared with me this morning uh, that they uh, she grew up in a church that was all victory all the time. That's what it meant to be a Christian, to always be up. And I, I've heard that before for many. I didn't necessarily grow up quite that way, but I know so many who have taught early on in life that it means to be a Christian is to be winning all the time. And you know what? Uh, as I talked about with my friend this morning, uh, it's just not true. It's not what Christianity is. It's not always being up. It's not always. It's not the power of positive thinking. Christianity is the power of Jesus in the world. So it's it's a psalm. So we should read it like poetry. Feelings turned on. It's a lament. So we can uh, let's be grateful for that. We can approach it and we can actually join in uh, lamenting brokenness in the world without getting overwhelmed with it because Jesus has risen from the dead. It's a prayer. Um, this is not just a poem that stands on its own. It's a prayer poem. This is addressed to God. And that says something. Um, it's, it's different than complaining. I had, I had this conversation with somebody this morning as well. Complaining is like, uh, it's like griping at other people. <laughs> Right? True lament is bringing our sorrows to God. And those are not the same. And in this psalm, we see that we have freedom to come to God. One thing I was told early on is that we bring our best self to God. (laughs) Well, you know what? If that was, if if we were required to bring our best self to God, none of us would be able to get to Him. God doesn't call us to always just bring our best self to him. God calls us to come to him as we are, even in our brokenness. It's like Jesus said, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Or like it says in 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 First Peter, to throw your anxieties at him because he cares for you. So this is that kind of prayer, an anxiety-throwing-at-God type prayer. All of these things are true about Psalm 6. Um, one last thing. Psalm 6, it says in the, in the Psalm's title, to the choir master with stringed instruments, according to the Shimoneth, the Psalm of David. Shimoneth means like eighth or octave. Nobody knows what that means here. Um, maybe it's a musical term. But we do know what to the choir master with stringed instruments means. And that means that David wrote this as a congregational singing type song. So we have 150 psalms in the Bible. Um, 55 of them are labeled especially for congregational singing to the choir master. Now, uh, what that means is that all of the psalms are good for singing because they're poetry and they're Bible. And we should sing the Bible because we're Christians. But 55 are especially designed for singing together as the people of God. Now, that's uh, important because sometimes when I come to the Psalms, uh, sort of my default uh, 
hermeneutical filter. The default way I read them is I kind of read them as if I was reading David's private prayer journal or whoever the psalmist is. In this case, it's David because it says the psalm of David. And I think, oh, what's going on between David and God? Now, David did write this, so it is legit to say what's going on in his life. But David didn't write this for himself alone. He wrote this for God's people. So maybe God's people singing in the, around the tabernacle, or singing in the temple, or God's people singing in the church. This is our psalm. That's important because uh, when we read about this like lament, like David you know, is writing about hurting and weeping and all this stuff, um, that's a shared experience. It's designed that way. Okay, so that's sort of the frame. Now let's get into it. Um, oh, one more thing about the to the choir master piece that's really important. David wrote this psalm uh, to be sung in congregational worship. Now, the things that we do in congregational worship today and the things that they did in congregational worship back in David's day are formative. They form us. That's why we do things like uh, to communion every week, uh, pray for the offering, and have a time to reflect for the offering every week. These, these things are formative. They form us. They're rhythms that we go through that shape us. Um, there's something about this psalm uh, that's supposed to do that for us. This is not just, well, let me put it this way. Um, we all struggle with facing the brokenness in the world, right? And this psalm, one of the, if you read the weekly email and do the, you know, reflection questions in there, one of the questions this last week was, what do you think David is lamenting? And an interesting thing about this psalm is it never says exactly what he's lamenting. He doesn't name it. And that's appropriate because he's writing this for the congregation. So David was lamenting something, but he's writing this lament song for all of us. So what I'm lamenting this week, what I'm facing is different than what David faced when he was writing it. What you're facing, the heaviness that you carry in the room, the brokenness in the world that's an inner crashing into your life at the time is different. But we can gather around this psalm, this song, addressing brokenness for what it is, but its specific application is a little different for each of us. That's really important. Because what David is writing about here is not necessarily the hurt that he's feeling and not necessarily the hurt you're feeling or I'm feeling alone, David is writing about hurt in general. He's writing about brokenness in general. He's writing to lament the sin-ravished world and our sin-ravished lives in general. This psalm is broad enough for all of us. So, if we had to, well, one good way, one fun Bible study method, one good way to study the Bible, and something that I try to do every week as I'm preparing to preach, is one of the things you can do is sort of play Jeopardy with the text. 
You guys know the game Jeopardy. It's the game where uh, the you know on TV the the game show. What's that guy? Alex Trebek. Is that right? Alex Trebek gives the answer, and then the people have to figure out what the question is. Right? That's Jeopardy. It's like reverse question and answer. Well, sometimes when we come to the Bible and we look at a text and we see an answer, we see an answer to something, and us as Bible readers, we need to figure out what question is the text answering. So Psalm 6 is this big, broad, congregational psalm that's addressing hurt and grief and brokenness and sin in this general way that can apply to anyone in the congregation. And it speaks a message. But what question is Psalm 6 answering? I'm convinced that the question, just like the content of Psalm 6, is pretty broad. Convinced that if we had to ask the question that Psalm 6 was the answer to, the question would be, how do we face brokenness, evil, um, hurt? How do we face these things in the world and in our lives honestly? How do we face brokenness, sin, and all of its effects? How do we face these things honestly? Now that's that's the question. Now let me explain that just for a second, because this is going to set us up for just the, the to I think to for the all the pieces of the psalm to lock into place. Um, all of us have to deal with brokenness, with sin and sin's effects. We um, we are people that have bodies that are falling apart, uh, and some of us falling apart at faster speeds than others. <laughs> Uh, we live in a world uh, that's ravaged with death and war and destruction and hatred. Uh, we live in a city that has big problems. We live in families that experience conflict. Um, all of these things are regular aspects of things that we have to deal with in our lives. Now, as just human beings, we don't have a choice as to whether or not we face come face-to-face with the brokenness in the world. But, especially, well, in Christ, we do have a choice whether or not to face these things honestly. Let me tell you what I mean by honestly. Some of us in life go through life, like we talked about before, uh, with uh, living in a kind of denial about how bad things really are. So maybe you grew up in one of those victorious Christian life <laughs> type environments where following God meant winning, winning, winning. Um, or, or maybe you just uh, are kind of, you sort of live in the clouds. But some of us deal with the brokenness in the world by basically living in denial, acting like things aren't that bad, acting like everything's okay all the time. And, you know, we talked about it a second ago. That's not a biblical way to view the world. And that's not a good way to live life because it's dishonest. Everything's not okay all the time. Um, just pull up the news. <laughs> or or even worse, look at Facebook. <laughs> Everything's not okay. And even those are, that's kind of anecdotal, but all of us, we some of us are struggling with sickness or family members or people are dying. Some of us have relationships, even in our family, that are strained. Things are bad. 
And Scripture equips us to face these things honestly. Psalm 6 does that. Some of us are on the opposite spectrum. We uh, don't face the brokenness in the world honestly because we act like brokenness is all there is. All we see is doom and gloom. Everything's terrible all the time. And you know what? That's not a biblical view of things either. And if we face the brokenness in the world as if it has the last word, we're not being honest. Because, remember, Jesus is risen from the dead. He is the final word. So, Psalm 6 gives us the answer to the question, how do we face brokenness in the world honestly? Let me show you. How do we face brokenness in the world honestly? Well, in Psalm 6, in this psalm, this sort of uh, framework that we're supposed to sing and meditate on as a group that trains us in how to respond to brokenness in the world. We see, uh, I, I'm pulling out three aspects, three, three answers to how to respond to the brokenness in the world honestly, according to Psalm 6. First one comes from verses 1 through 3. Let me read it. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I'm languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? How do we face the brokenness in the world honestly? Well, uh, number one, by taking ownership of your own sin. Owning your sin. This song that trains us how to stare the brokenness in the world in in the face and respond appropriately. The first matter of business in this psalm is dealing with sin. Sentence number one. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. This is a confession prayer. David, the psalmist, is dealing with owning his own sin. And he's calling us, as people who share in the song, to do the same. All evil, all brokenness, all dysfunction, all dirtiness, all hurt in the world is the result of sin either directly or indirectly. Let me explain that for a second. That doesn't mean if you got the flu that you have some unconfessed sin that you need to find so you can get better from the flu. No, no, no. That's not it. You get the flu because we live in a world that is falling apart. And it's been falling apart ever since sin entered. When we hurt, when we feel despair... When we face darkness, we need to know that the reason those things are in the world is because of sin. Either directly, like uh, if you went out and you stole something, and then you got caught and you went to prison for stealing things, and prison was really hard, you would be directly suffering the consequences of your sin. Or, like we said before, if you get the flu, it doesn't mean that you did something wrong so you're being punished, but it does mean that you live in a world where sickness is alive and well. 
And it's been alive and well in the world ever since sin entered. So when we face brokenness in the world, we need to know that we are facing the direct or the indirect result of sin. Now, if we want to face the brokenness in the world honestly, then we need to start with owning our own sin contribution before the Lord. There's a great story about the 19th century um, British uh, writer, philosopher, G.K. Chesterton. And the story might be apocryphal. Probably is. Probably didn't happen. But it's a great story. Maybe you've heard it because it's very popular. Uh, One day, the London Times uh, sent out letters to all kinds of public figures, writers, philosophers, thinkers, asking the question, what is wrong with the world? And they were all supposed to respond with their ideas. And uh, G.K. Chesterton, the brilliant Christian public thinker and writer, had, had the, of everybody that responded, he had the shortest response. He also had the most profound. Uh, and they published it in the Times, apparently. That's what the story says. Nobody can actually find the actual newspaper, um, but we're just going to pretend that it actually happened. He responded, he said, Dear, dear sir, it's a question. What is wrong with the world? Dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. <laughs> that, that's what I'm talking about here. David shows us that if you want to lament, you want to face the honest truth about what's wrong with the world, we need to start with owning our own sin. Even if the brokenness you're experiencing is an indirect result of sin in general, like getting the flu. When we look that flu in the face, so to speak, when we lament it, when we cry out to God, Lord, help me, David shows us that we start still by owning sin. In James chapter 5, it gives uh, some instructions for healing prayer in the church. Is any of you sick? Let him call the elders of the church to come, and the elders will anoint the person with oil and pray over them that they would be healed. In those instructions in James chapter 5, it gives specific instructions that in that moment of prayer, In that moment of praying for healing, that holy moment, to confess your sins to one another. When we cry out to God because we have had enough of brokenness, we don't start with somebody else's problems. We don't start by saying, Lord, these people are hurting me. We don't start with saying, Lord, this world is broken. We start with saying, Lord... Rebuke me not in your anger, or discipline me in your wrath. In Romans 6, we read earlier, it says, Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. It says, Don't let sin have dominion over you. Do you know how we get sin away from us? How we keep sin from dominating us? By confessing it and by looking to Jesus. It says in Romans 6, it says, Don't let sin have dominion over you. You're not under the law, you're under grace. This is why David starts with asking God's mercy 
in relation to his sin. David is taking his lament and he's putting it underneath the grace of God. Because underneath the umbrella of God's grace is where sin and brokenness doesn't dominate. And that's how we lament. We start with confession. We start with receiving God's grace. All right. How do we face it honestly? Well, it starts with own your sin. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love, for in death there is no remembrance of you. And Sheol, that's like the grave, who will give you praise? I am weary with my mourning. Every night I flood my bed with tears and drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. How do we face the brokenness in the world in our lives honestly? Well, first, we own our own sin. Second, own your own weakness. Own your weakness. Take ownership of it. Listen to David. Lord, deliver my life. He, he, he's afraid of death. He says, in death, there's no remembrance of you. It's like, in Sheol, who will give you praise? It's like David is saying, Lord, I am on the, I'm sliding into death and you better do something because in death, nobody praises God. It's all darkness. He says every night, he's weary with moaning. Every night he's flooding his bed with tears, trenches his couch with weeping. His eyes are wasting away because of his grief. Remember, David was a king. David was a warrior. David was big and strong. And here we have this big, strong man who's got a lot of power, who can snap his fingers and make people do things for him. He can't even get off the couch. He's flooding his couch with tears. He's afraid of death. David is owning his weakness before the Lord. David is saying, Lord, I am powerless to change these circumstances. And by nature of this being a congregational song, he's teaching us to do the same, to own our weakness. I heard a a great analogy this week uh, that when... Well, have you ever had a time, like David said, he floods his couch with his weeping. You know, he can't even get out of bed. Have you ever had a time when you were so down, you were so overwhelmed, so overrun, that you couldn't get out of bed or couldn't get off the couch? It's like you just gave up for the day. Well, the way that I grew up, that was that's sort of a shameful thing. We're, we're stronger than that. We get out of bed. And that was sort of the environment that I grew up in. But I was talking to somebody who grew up differently, and the person said, you know, it's sort of like when you find yourself driving in a storm, and the rain is coming down so hard that the wipers can't even catch up. What do you do? You pull over. There's no use trying to push through. You're just going to get hurt. Pull the car over. In that conversation, we talked about how there are times when we're so down, so weak, so overrun that you know what we just need to call in and go back to bed we need to pull over for the day what david is talking about is that thing he's saying lord i can't even get off the couch 
what we see here is that owning our weakness um, isn't shameful. It's good. That's a gift that God gives us, the ability to stand before him and stand before the brokenness in the world and say, God, I don't know what to do except cry. I'm encouraged by this. This sets us free to feel our feelings, which is part of what it means to follow Jesus and be a Christian, is to learn how to feel things honestly and openly. So he's owning his weakness. He's, it's, it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that the first of the 12 steps in the 12-step recovery programs, the first step is to admit that you're powerless. You, you, you can't change your life on your own. At Romans 6, the passage that we read before, it talks about how victory over sin is something that starts with being united with Jesus in his death. Jesus, remember we talked about last week, Jesus is the only one who is from death. He's the firstborn of New creation, resurrected from the dead. And in Romans 6, it says that when we're baptized, we're at the beginning of our Christian life, we're united with Jesus in his death. So if we want to talk about Christian victory, what it means to live a victorious Christian life, it starts in death. It starts with powerlessness. So when you come face to face with the brokenness in the world, feeling your own feelings of hurt in response to, you name it, of a myriad of things that are broken, health issues, uh, relational issues, uh, family issues, the the war in Ukraine, uh, whatever it is. The first thing that we do as Christians is not stick it out and power through it. No. It's good to stop and to take a moment. That's how we become Christians in the first place. Jesus didn't die on the cross and immediately rise from the dead. He remained under the power of death for a time. That's what we say when we say he descended into hell. So facing the brokenness in the world honestly means owning our weakness. And last, how do we face the brokenness in the world honestly? Um, We own our own sin. We own our own weakness. And last... This one's my favorite one. We own our deliverance. Take ownership of your deliverance. Listen to the way this ends. We've gone from weeping and crying and lamenting sin, and he's on his couch. He can't, he's just, he's wasting away. Uh, He's got nothing left. And then it's like a switch flips in verse 8. David says, depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They'll turn back and be put to shame in a moment. (laughs) Is this the same guy that was writing a second ago? I love that uh, the great commentator, Derek Kidner, Uh, He says in his little commentary on this passage, he says, he says, and then finally, uh, he says, the first weeping and then finally an outburst of defiant faith. (laughs) 
And that's what we see. This comes out of nowhere. This is an outburst. And it's defiant. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. What's going on here? David is taking emotional ownership of his assurance that God has heard his prayer, that God is saving him. And then he takes action. He says, depart from me to his enemies. All you workers of evil, all my enemies will be ashamed and greatly troubled. He's going to get out there and do something about it. Now, the key to understanding this little part of the text, and the key to understanding how we're supposed to own our deliverance like David owned his, is knowing that when David wrote this psalm, he's writing not just as a man, not just as a human being, he's writing as the king of Israel. That's the place that he's writing this psalm from. He's writing as the king of Israel for the people of Israel. By extension, that means for us. Now, here's why that means something. Because when David, speaking as the king, says, depart from me, you enemies. When David talks about in the Psalms destroying his enemies, putting his enemies to death, we need to remember he's speaking as the king of Israel. And as the king of Israel, he had given to him by God, and we'll study this when we get to the book of Genesis 1 through 11, given to him by God as, as the, as a, as a king, as a governmental leader, he, he has the power of the sword. He can command soldiers. He can go out there and combat evil, combat his enemies face to face. Now, us, just regular old Christians uh, living day to day, we don't have that quite in the same way. Jesus tells us, love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Pray for those who persecute you. But David, speaking as king, says, paraphrased, I'm coming after you. (laughs) Now, here's why that's important. When David shifts and takes emotional and deep-felt, faith-filled a hold of his deliverance that God is offering him, that drives him to action to get up off of the couch and put on his kingly robe and go out there and fight the enemies that are bringing trouble in his kingdom, to put them down. David. The king of Israel, responding to the brokenness, grabbing a hold of the deliverance that's available uh, by God's grace to his people, stands up and as the king marches out to put the troublemakers down. Now, when we feel the trouble in the world, that it comes to weigh on us, our instinct is to often to go out there and find the person who caused it and put him down, (laughs) whether that's with our words or with our actions. But we're not called to do that. We're called to look to the king, David's greatest son, who got up off of his weeping couch, if you will, put on his kingly robe, or rather it was put on him in mockery, but he's king nonetheless, and goes out there and puts our enemies down on our behalf. Do you see it? David's overwhelmed, and he looks to the king, it happens to be him, to go out there and put the trouble away. We're overwhelmed. We're pulled over in the storm. We're overrun with owning our sin, 
owning our weakness. Where do we look? Where do we cry out to? Who do we call for? The king. Jesus. Who rides out to put sin and death and hell away once and for all. With the sword of his word and with his blood stained on his garment. He goes out on our behalf. And he says, all my enemies are being put to shame. So folks, when we go out and we live our lives and we feel the weight of brokenness, before we roll up our sleeves to try to make the world a better place, before we go out there to join some social service initiative, own your sin. Recognize that we ourselves are part of the problem. Own it before the Lord. Ask for his mercy and grace. Put yourself under the umbrella of his mercy. Own your weakness. Recognize that you are not the solution. You could never do enough to fix the world or to fix your problem or to heal your body. And then take ownership of your deliverance. Look to Jesus. The best you know how. As we're united with him in his death, we are also united with him in his resurrection. And it's in his resurrection that he has put all of his enemies to shame. It's my hope and my prayer that us as a congregation would be formed by the message of this song. That us as a church would be formed by this. That every single thing that we do as Hope Presbyterian Church in response to the brokenness in this world starts with owning our own sin, owning our own weakness, and then grabbing a hold with all of our hearts of the deliverance that is offered in the victory of King Jesus. And from that place, we have a song to sing to the world. We have a message. And we can lament without losing hope. Let's pray.